You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Okay, let's get into a parable this morning for a few minutes here. I know we've already packed a lot into this service, but let's take a little bit of time here and, uh, and kind of unpack the word a little bit. I'm going to take you into Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And uh, this is the parable of the ten virgins, also known as the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. Okay? Um, and uh, I would, um, as, as we start this one out, I, I would say this to you. There, there are two phrases, I think, that can cause angst. There are many phrases that can cause angst or turmoil inside of us, but there are two phrases in particular that do it for me. Uh, but I like to be in control, and I like to know what's going on, and I like to see out ahead of me. I don't like a lot of surprises uh, in, in life, not, at least not you know, negative surprises. Um, but one of, one of the things that I hear, and it's, just, it's like I feel it inside of me. It just starts to create a little bit of anxiety or, or turmoil inside of me. Um, and that is the phrase, get ready. Because right? I'm like, wait a minute, for what? What's, what's coming? You know, what is about to happen? I don't like it when people say, get ready. Especially if they're very animated. You know, get ready. I'm like, wait, <laughs> I'm not ready. You know, that just, it, it, it does something to me. And the other is, is, is not a command, but a question, and that is, are you ready? Are you ready? And I'm like, for what? You know, I don't, when I don't know something, or I don't know what to expect, I, 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 and, and here's what it comes down to, it boils down to this, I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I don't want to be caught in a place of unpreparedness. Or in a place where I'm not ready for whatever is about to happen or whatever is about to come. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. (laughs) You want to back up? (laughs) Thank you, dear. (laughs) Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. That was a very important point. Come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up, And they trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give up some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went out with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is a shaking parable. This is one of those parables that definitely just gets inside of you, and it it causes you to look at your life. And, and, and that's the intent, is that it really challenges you to look at, at yourself here, all right? 
Um, how many of you ever run out of gas in your car? No. Yes. Don't you just hate that? Especially those of you who have the little light that comes on and tells you you're about to run out of gas. You know? or, or even you have the newer versions of the automobiles where it actually will give you an allocated number of miles. In 27 miles, you will run out of gas. And you know what? You proved it to be right because you ran out of gas. You know? And so we've all been in that place where we have found ourselves deficient and having to deal with the aftermath of that. Yesterday, I ran a marathon in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, I can't say that it was one of my most favorite marathons to ever have run. Actually, it was one of the worst that I've ever run, not because it was a bad marathon. It was a great marathon, well done, well, well put together, well organized, uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful marathon in that respect. Um, but at about mile 17, I ran out of gas. Um, I, I, I had nothing left. Uh, I was sharing my, my breakout, you know, and, and at like mile um, 20, I had gotten to mile 20 in like three hours and some few minutes, you know. But from mile 20 to mile 25, it took me a total of five hours and one minute. Uh, so you can see those last few hours were struggling. You know, I was out of gas. And, you know, even if someone had had some ability to give me energy that was beside me, I guarantee you if I'd asked for it, I wouldn't have gotten it. Because they looked like I felt, you know. Because at that point, you know, everyone is feeling that. But, but I had nothing at that point. And all of my, all of my plan. All of my desire, all of my ambition for this particular marathon was dwindling fast. And I was changing goals quicker than you can imagine, all right? Uh, I mean, it was like, I'm going to run this in a little over four hours, you know. Uh, at, at mile 19, I was like, you know what, I think I'll run this in about five, you know. At mile 20, I was like, you know what, I just want to finish. And a little bit further down, I was... I was articulating, you don't know who I am to someone who was concerned about me and the fact that I was struggling so much. I said, I will finish this race if I have to crawl. That's just how I am. And their response was like, well, that's how people like you are. You'll just die. But, but I want you to understand that there is a message in all of this, in this idea of something deficient, something lacking, something is not enough. I didn't, I didn't prepare for this marathon like I usually prepare for marathons. I didn't run as many long runs. I didn't spend as much time on the track as I normally do. And I did a very foolish thing the night before. I pigged out on eggplant parmesan, which you should never do. All right, you should never eat fried foods before you run a marathon. So that didn't help matters at all either. Okay, so poor planning and, and lack and deficiency and all, it created a situation where I was not ready, I was not prepared, and I suffered as a consequence of that lack of preparedness. Now, I'd like to pose to you this morning before I talk to you very briefly here about this particular parable. This is my heart today, my desire today, is that you leave here with this sense of, I want to be prepared. I want to be ready. I, I want to know that I am doing what I am supposed to be doing. Now, 
I in no way, and this is the danger of this parable and some like this parable, I in no way want to reinforce to you a, a mindset that it is all about performance and it is all about doing, because it is not. You don't get saved by doing any more than you get saved by joining the church. All right, Doing stuff, works, don't, don't save you. And so let's, let's make that clear at the beginning here, is that you don't get saved by your works. All right? Yet in this, there needs to be evidence. Paul says, I'll show you my faith by my works. There needs to be evidence that something is going on inside of us that propels us into this place of genuine, uh, joyful obedience to God and that our lives are, are living that out. But let's talk about this particular parable for just a little bit, okay? Um, I, I, and back to the, the gas thing, I, you're, you're, like, you're like about at least a half a million other people in America, apparently over half a million people at various times during any given year will run out of gas, all right? Um, now, that's besides, you know, tires and dead batteries and misplaced keys and all those kinds of things, but gas is right up there at the top when it comes to dealing with our cars. And why is that? Because a lot of times we think we can make it. A lot of times we think we'll be all right, you know. And some of us think that we are quite invincible, you know. Well, it can't happen to me. Um, and, and so uh, yesterday I, I left Fargo, and I was driving home, and I was tired, and I was exhausted, and I was disappointed, and I was frustrated, and all those kinds of things, and I got about 10 miles outside of Fargo, and I wanted to go home because I just ate this big old cheeseburger, and I wanted to just get home and go to bed and be happy and wake up in the morning and be with all of you, and I looked at the gas gauge and realized that the light was on. Now, I didn't fill my car up in Fargo because Roy called me on the cell phone, and I was trying to, to talk to Roy for a moment, and I missed the last gas station outside of Fargo, all right? And so I'm getting down the road, and now all of a sudden, I realize, you know, in England, Roy will not be able to call me. That's what I said, okay? Um, but, but Roy had called me, and so I, I'm on the highway, and I look down, and the light is on. Now, I don't know how long it's been on. I haven't looked at it. I'm notorious for not looking at the dashboard. All right, and so the light is on, and I'm out in the middle of, of nowhere. It's Fargo, for crying out loud, okay? And, and so I'm thinking, do I try to make it to the next place? Where, where would be the next place, you know? And I'm thinking about this, and I drive a little further, and then I see an overpass, and I think, oh, maybe at that overpass I'll find something. Um, and so I get to there, and obviously there's nothing, and so then there's, there's this little community over there somewhere. You can just kind of see it through the trees because you just see a steeple. You know, and I say, oh, it's a community. I won. And then I'm thinking, they wouldn't have a get-and-go. Uh, you know, I don't know if they even have a service station. I don't, I don't know what they have. So I'm debating. I actually pulled off of the interstate and debated, do I keep going and try to go and risk giving out of gas, or do I go back to Fargo? And even going back to Fargo, it was a bit of, a, of an ordeal. It was anxiety. Will I make it back to Fargo and find a station? Which, long story short, I did, and I got gas, and I took off. Now I'm, I feel like, all right, I got it. I'm, I, I can go home now, you know. Uh, but, but I had experienced that before. I had experienced this whole uh, ugly thing of running out of gas and having to call someone. That's why I have triple A, you know. Here's what I want to say to you. I, I don't know that these virgins had experienced what they experienced before. I'm almost confident they never had, according to this story. 
And they didn't have anything to rely on, like AAA, to bring them oil. They had to go and get their own. So, what I want to say to you is that we need to remind ourselves of a a number of things. And one is that it is important to be ready. It is important to be prepared. Let Let me just move into the context of this parable for just a moment here. All right? I think we'll, we'll, we'll do ourselves well as we look at this to, to remind ourselves that, that um, in, in response to the disciples' request to know uh, what sign would signal the Lord's coming and the end of the age, Jesus began to speak these parables to them, all right? And so he began to speak about the last days here. And, and he makes it very clear that the end would not come immediately, but only after some time and some troubles, all right? And you can see this through Matthew chapter 24, all right? All right, so the Lord is looking here at, at, at issues, um, and, and, and he is issuing this sort of warning. And there's various warnings here that come through this particular passage uh, because there are, there are troubled times that are coming. And, and he says, uh, Jesus says in the parable that it will be a bit of time, all right? And so that is the message we have here. But we also understand from other passages that there are others that will come in. Uh, they're referred to by some as interlopers. Uh, are, some would call them interrupters, uh, those who push one off course, all right? These are the wolves who will come in in sheep's clothing. These are the false prophets and the false teachers and whatnot. And they will come up with ideas and they will come up with teachings and those sort of things in troubling times and difficult times and even in boring times when we just sort of begin to sort of fall asleep and forget that the Lord is coming back and that that coming back could be at any time, all right? And so I want us to understand here that there's several parables here that Jesus is giving. And he seems to be giving them only to the disciples. This doesn't seem to be something that is coming to everybody, like the scribes and the Pharisees and and all those other people out there that were around listening to some of the parables that he was sharing. But this seems to be brought in to the disciples and others who are close and who are followers Uh, So he seems to be talking to the church. And so I think it's fair to say that that some of what we will look at in some of these types of parables is about the church as well. We can can sort of include the the, the church in that, all right? Um, And so what I want to do this morning as as we are running out of time here is to just give you a, a couple of thoughts. I would like you to have some things that you can think about, that you can ponder in the power of the Holy Spirit and that you can take them back with you. Now, Number one is, according to scriptures, we don't know the time of day or the hour in which Jesus is going to return. You don't get to know that. Um, and and you, Noah did not get to know that. If you go back and read the account of Noah, it says that Noah was taken into the boat and God shut the door up. And after he shut up the door, then he began the rains and the floods, all right, um, so, so Noah spent a, 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 a tremendous amount of time building this boat. He dealt with the, his peers and those around him, ridiculing him and making fun of him and talking about him. No doubt many people thought he was just a crazy man because of what he was doing. And yet he knew that he had a clear call from God to be obedient. And he was being obedient to what God had called him to do, and that was to build the ark. 
All right? And so he is spending his time, he is spending his energy, he is spending his monies to make preparation. He is making preparation according to what God gave to him, the directions that God gave to him, and he is building this ark. And when it came the fullness of time, which Noah did not know, he did not know the day nor the hour that the flood would start, but out of obedience he was prepared. He was ready because he had obeyed God and done what God had told him to do. And then God takes him and all the animals in his family, shuts the door, and then the floodwaters come, and you know the rest of the story. All right? So I, I want us to understand that, that we are talking about a situation where these maidens did not have full disclosure. They did not know some things. Some things were not included in this parable, just as they are not included in the other scriptures that talk about Jesus coming back. Mainly that they did not know when the bridegroom would come. And this parable bears that out for us. As the church, we do not know the day nor the hour, all right, when Jesus will return. I go to Hy-Vee to shop on uh, Minnesota. South Minnesota. It's a, one of the bigger high vs and I like that high V. I can find all the things that I like there. And right across the street from that particular high V, there is a fire station. All right? One of the bigger fire stations in the community. I think the disaster team is at that particular fire station. So it, it, it's a little bit bigger and a little bit more important, possibly, than some of the others. Not that any of them are not important. Okay? Um, but oftentimes you will see a fire truck parked in the driveway or, or in the parking lot of Hy-Vee. And, and when you go in, you will sometimes see firemen in there. They shop over at that Hy-Vee, all right? And, and so they, they're in there. Now, those firemen have trained. Those firemen have prepared themselves. They know what to do in case of an emergency, a fire or any other type of disaster. They know through training what they are supposed to do, with the hope and the intent that when they have to do that, that it will be effective and they will save lives and save homes and, and whatever else, okay? But those firemen do not know the day and the hour the call will come. So they are continually prepared. You can drive by that fire station. I'm intrigued by fire stations and fire trucks and those kinds of things, by the way. You can see them out, and if there has been a fire, they will go through a process of taking apart that fire truck and all of the equipment on it, and, uh, and, and they'll, they'll make sure everything is in working order, and if anything has been used, it's replaced, it's put back in, in the right order, and it costs tens of thousands of dollars each time they have to do that because the equipment has to be right. It has to be ready. You don't use old equipment. You don't use second-hand equipment because the next emergency, you have to be completely prepared and completely ready when the call comes. And so if you watch those firemen inside of High V when they're shopping for their whatever they're shopping for, they all have their, their, their walkie-talkies or their phones or whatever, and they're right there and they're ready for them. If you get a tour, not many of you probably have done that. I don't know. Maybe you have through the fire department, you know, Annette goes there frequently. Uh, but she hangs out with the firemen over at the fire department there. Um, and she gets tours through there. But she can tell you as well, all the little cots along there, they are all made up nice and neat and orderly so that there's nothing out of, out of place. No one's going to trip over anything. But then all of their uniforms and their boots and their helmets and everything is right there 
all laid out in the order in which they will dress themselves because they want to be as effective as they can be when they get the call that they do not know the day nor the hour that it will come. And what are you building, Pastor Bill? I'm building this idea in our heads that you and I as the church need to live in a state of preparedness. We need to live in this place of being ready. And I think it's very easy for someone to lose a sense of that if they do not know for sure when that is going to be. It's very easy to be lulled. All right? If you don't know the exact day or you don't know the exact hour, it is easy to be lulled. All right? So, let's just look at this for just a moment here, all right? There are a few things I'd like for you to consider, consider as we, we sort of interpret this parable, all right? Um, now, this is a selective account. Uh, there, there are probably a number of details that are omitted here. Pastor Dave and, and I and Nathan were talking about this this morning, and there were, you know, some questions that came out during our discussion as well. You know, what kind of lamp? You know, why 10? Why not 12 or, or 15 or two or what, you know, there, there's some things that, that maybe we don't have a, a specific uh, answer to them, and so they are open for some interpretation, and they are open some, for some speculation, all right, but, you know, I mean, where's, where's the groom coming from? Where's the bride, for crying out loud? You know, there, I mean, there, there are things that we just don't know, and so there's a, there's, there's, this is a selective account here of this particular passage, all right? We don't know what's going to happen at the wedding. We don't know what role exactly these lamps play in, 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 the, in the wedding celebration, all that. So we do have to look at history a little bit. We have to look at, at, at a wedding in that day maybe to understand it a little better. Uh, we, you know, we, of course, look to theologians and, 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 and writers and seasoned veteran pastors to help us with understanding and all those kinds of things. We certainly ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and our hearts to understand these kinds of things. But you don't get everything in these parables. But, but here's, here's something that I want you to understand, and, and, and one of the guys brought it out this morning as we were discussing, and that is that in, in the context, in the day when the parables were being spoken by Jesus, they got it. Those, those who were listening, for the most part, they, got, they, they would understand, and they would, it was for them, it would, but, but it comes to us in Scripture form, and so then it becomes for us. And so we have, uh, we, we have a different context, of course, that we are interpreting this out of. We have a different grid that we are running this through, and it's, it's our ideas of weddings and, and all these kinds of things, and we look at stuff that we are familiar with. So let's be careful about over-interpreting or even over-spiritualizing some of the aspects of the parable. So let's look at it more for what it, it really is here today, okay? Um, and I also want you to understand that you may not be looking at, at just a typical wedding, necessarily, in its day, all right? Um, I, I want you to just understand that Jesus is speaking here about a particular situation that is bringing forth uh, what he wants the, the disciples to learn and understand about the second coming, all right? So, so not everything may be the same in every wedding, necessarily. So um, keep, keep that in, in, in mind, all right? And now... The third thing I would like for you to do is sort of set aside your assumptions about 20th century or 21st century weddings and bridesmaids, and in particular, brides. And it was Nathan that brought this out this morning. You know, if you look at a bride today, 
And you think about a bride today, and you think about a bride, or even a bridesmaid in, in this particular parable. We're going to, I think, see something very different. You know, I watched one time a show with my daughter for just a few moments, and then I had to walk away from it. And it was something to do with bridezilla. It's, it's like a, is it, it's one of those real shows. What do you call those? Those reality shows. I don't watch them, but you know, a reality show. But, but as we were talking about this morning, every bride is horrible. They're absolutely awful because it's all about them. It's totally about this bride and her perceived reality that the world really does revolve around her. And that this is the opportunity where she gets to show you how mean she can be and how difficult to deal with she can be and those kinds of things. All right? And so we, we've got to get away from... This wasn't a, 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 a million-dollar wedding. This wasn't an extravaganza. This wasn't an opportunity for one family to prove how much income or assets they have over another. It wasn't a, it wasn't a situation where, where necessarily the bride would be a horrible person and, and she would make it difficult for other people and all those kinds of things. So whatever you've learned or comprehended or understood about 21st century weddings... Uh, in, in Western culture, try to lay that down here, okay? All right? And so I, I would like for you to also not think about a lamp in the terms of what is familiar to you or I, because that, I don't think that's what we have here. Um, the word used for lamp here, lampas, um, is, is not even the normal term that's used for lamp in all of Scripture, in, uh, especially in, in, in Matthew or in the New Testament. It's used five times in this parable of the virgins. It's used once in John 18.3. It's also used once in Acts 20, verse 8. Twice in the book of Revelations. And, and it, it means, it, it, it's, the, the imagery we get from this word is that it's more of like a torch. It's a bit larger. It's not like a lamp that would be by your, your bedside or on a table. Okay. So it would require some effort to work with it and to get it lit and would probably have a rag or something that soaks up the, uh, the oil. Uh, and so it would require trimming, as the scripture makes reference to. And it would also have the ability to be put on a pole of some sort and to be held on a pole so that it could be held up. So the light is a little bit larger than what you would probably find by a bedside or on a table in a cottage. Okay, but it, the intent seems to be that it was to light a larger area. It would be to light up a pathway for someone to go down or to light up a room uh, uh, of some type, all right? Um, so it, keep that in mind as we look at this for just a moment here, all right? Uh, so it, it wouldn't be like a, a, a lamp that you would find in your house or my wife and I used to collect little, little oil lamps sometimes, but it wouldn't be like that, all right? Now... I want you to consider this, this idea that these five virgins who were referred to as foolish ran out of oil. And I want to pose something to you to think about. They, they may have run out of oil, but I would like to pose to you another idea. And bear with me on this, and that is that they never had oil to begin with. And this is where we really get down to the meat of this parable. What if they never really had oil? 
these lamps obviously were different than the ones inside uh, of, of, the, of the house. And, and it's interesting that five of them run out of oil at the same time. Not, not just one or three, but five, half of them actually run out of oil at the same time when they are needed, when they are about to utilize them. And keep in mind that the potter who made these lamps, in all likelihood, would have tested them. He would have put oil inside of them. He would have used a rag just like they would use to light it. He would have trimmed it to some degree. He would have run that oil out. He would have burnt it out so that there was not a stock of oil inside of the lamp. And he would sell that lamp, and then he would sell the necessary oil, or someone else in the market would sell the necessary oil in a container to go with that lamp. And so they were to take their lamps, and they were to take their oil, and they were to be ready to go at the bridegroom's bidding. So I I want to suggest to you that these ladies never had oil. And when it came time for the bridegroom to call them to service, to meet him and to fulfill whatever obligation was theirs in this wedding ceremony, that they lit their little lamp and their little wick, whatever it was made of, and very, very quickly it went out because there was no oil. They had never actually prepared themselves to be used, to be in service to the bridegroom. Excuse me, I hope this doesn't bother some of you. I grew up in Pentecostal churches, as it was referred to earlier. And uh, in my churches, the pastor never took his coat off when he preached because that was not a sign of holiness. And uh, if he did, he sure didn't wear a short sleeve shirt. Uh, (laughs) Then he was just a total sinner. Uh, But I am hot this morning. Uh, But I, I... I I really want you to understand what I think this parable is trying to say to us. And I think that this is a great danger. Is that that there are those who live as though they are and they are not. And there are those who think that because they possess something that has some type of religious significance to it, that they are okay. Okay. And there are those who think that because someone that they are close to has the oil, has the experience, has the fullness, the richness, the infilling of God, that they will be okay tagging on to them and that they can actually get some of theirs and therefore they will be okay. And some people... Keep this in mind. Some people think, well, why didn't the five share? They, you know, why wouldn't they share? Everything about the gospel is that of giving, that of, of sharing, that of community and all of that. Because they couldn't. They couldn't. Those who were wise understood the bridegroom is, is going to call on us. He is calling now in this particular situation. He is calling. And we need to trim our lamp. 
for whatever he will need us for, whether that is to light the processional, to go and get the, the bride, which was a common sort of thing in that day in weddings. The bridegroom would get the entourage of people, in particular the bridesmaids, from, from where they were, were staying, and they would go, and they would retrieve the bride. He would take them, with, and they would light the way. And much of the ceremony that it was done in Jewish culture in weddings oftentimes was done after the sun went down. And so here are these ladies who possibly are going with him to retrieve the bride. And those who are wise understood something. It would be far more unfortunate if we tried to give you something that is ours and our lights go out. Five good lamps is better than no lamps. Even though it was his intent that there be ten are a full entourage. So go get your own oil. Go buy what you should have already bought. There should have been some sense among these five foolish virgins. Okay, this is a big thing. This is, this is the event. And we need to be ready. We, we need to do... We need to be responsible here to be ready. Again... I do not want to to re-etch something that that God has so graciously and beautifully taken out of your mindset that you can get there on works and that works is the way and that performance orientation is a good thing because it is not. But I want you to understand that it is important that you are prepared. This This is not about works. Hey, all ten slept for crying out loud. It wasn't five that slept and five that stayed up and waited. They all fell asleep because he tarried. He was taking longer than they thought, and so five fell asleep. No, ten fell asleep. But then when the call came, they all awoke. And as the five began to trim their lights and get their lamps ready or their torches ready, and they're ready to go and they're ready to be a part of the processional, the five realized that they had not done what was necessary to be ready. They didn't go buy the flask of oil. They have the lamp. Listen to me carefully. All ten in the posture of preparedness look the same until it's time to light the lamp. They were all called virgins, bridesmaids. They all had the lamp. They had the necessary instruments. But they were lacking the oil. That that would light the lamp and show the way. And all they would have had to have done in this time between being identified and accepting the role and the identity and the responsibility of being a virgin bridegroom, a bridesmaid, to go to the market and get the oil to do what is necessary. But they were not expecting. Or if they were expecting, they saw no sense of urgency. And somehow they believed that they would make it and it would be okay. Well, I've got the lamp. I've got the baptism. 
I've got the church membership certificate. I got the friends. I got the position on the praise team. I got chosen to be an elder. I get to work with the kids. That alone ought to get me in. No. No. And here's what I want you to understand today is that you and I need to live with this sense of expectancy. Because I believe that that is what made the difference between those who acted in foolishness and those who acted wisely. See, I believe that this bridegroom, it is Jesus in this parable. This bride, it is the church. I believe it saw all of these as capable. Jesus and the church saw everyone as capable. But they alone proved whether or not they were responsible enough. And so, they went to get it, thinking, oh, there'll be enough time, maybe. And they came back, and it says, the door was shut. Lord, Lord, we're ready now. He didn't say it's too late. This is the kicker in this whole thing. This is what needs to just chill us and awaken us. He said, I never knew you. I don't know you. But I carried the lamp. I brought it with me. I hung with the rest of the entourage. I've been around. I don't know you. I don't know you. It's very clear how to know Him. And I realize that He sent the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to be your teacher. But let me tell you the greatest work of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out since the day of Pentecost. And that is to point to Jesus. Not just to make you feel good. Not just to to give you greater or deeper revelation. But to point you to the bridegroom. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And He will, He will help you so that you may, out of a lifestyle of urgency and expectation and preparation, be ready. Be ready when the bridegroom, when Jesus comes.